Welcome to a very special episode of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even your name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. And I am your co-host, Mandy Conant. I like that you're saying co-host now instead of guest host. <laughs> after, after, after seven episodes, you get to be a, <laughs> an actual... I figured, fuck it. <laughs> it seems right. I think, I think you're a co-host. I think that's correct. Okay. So this episode commemorates a number of milestones for us. As we said last time, we just passed six months and also 1,000 plays at the same Yay. time, which I think is a pretty good milestone for six months. I don't know. I've never started a podcast before, but 1,000 listens seems pretty good. I say we take it. This also means that, I guess, ever since actually the first episode, I've been saving content I couldn't use or couldn't fit in the episode or thought was interesting in, in outtakes file in the hope that one day I'd find something to do with it. This is going to cover the first six months of outtakes and to be clear, this is 100% new content. These are things that we recorded earlier, but none of this has been played before. So you're not listening to like a clip show of our favorite moments of ourselves, so much as things that were removed either because they confused the topic and because we record about an hour and a half each time, but we're aiming for 45 minutes due to lots of statistics that 50 minutes is the maximum attention span. As I said last time, I also hope that besides being interesting and giving you access to sort of out-of-the-way content that isn't directly in some of our episodes, we'll also give you some sense of how our recording process works. That will be super cool. <laughs> All right, without further ado, here we go. Our first outtake comes from our second episode, where we had not located our wonderful co-hosts, Sarah or Mandy, and so my producer sat in as a co-host. This is the discussion where we attempt to work out what the show's introduction should sound like. This is going to be a great answer one day when people are like, where do you guys record? We're like, in a really weird tiny half closet <laughs> between my bedroom, because that's the space that has the least background noise when we tried 10 different locations. I guess we're going to start with the introduction. And I just use long pause breaks between talking to be like multiple cuts. So mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it like two or three times. Okay. So I'm going to do just the intro line. Welcome to the second episode of Probably Polly. The question... <laughs> Welcome to the second episode of Probably Polly. No, I, I was explosive at the beginning. One thing I've learned is that the first word I say is often way louder than the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, it's burned out as hell. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Try again. Welcome to the second episode of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our names. I'm going to do that a couple more times. I'm going to try and sound happier. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and thank you for joining us for our second episode of Probably Polly, the question, the question where we podcast everything, including our name. <laughs> <clears throat> what do we call ourselves? Like, do we, we say I'm your host? Like, what do people say at the beginning of these things? Do they just say I'm, as always, I'm Michael Haig? Or, like, I mean, what is... Yeah, generally host or co-host sometimes if it's like someone that's not always on it. So like you might be the host, I might be the co-host. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So should we actually say like, I'm your host, Michael Haig? Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. And then should I do any kind of stuff like your host, Michael Haig? I write, speak, and make artwork about the polyamorous lifestyle and specifically ethics. And Yeah, that sounds good. I think I'll just say how long I've been practicing polyamory because I don't have any Oh, right, right. and communi actually, community member, I should say. I should, I should add that because everyone I've ever heard does that. They're like, I've been a community member for nine years. If they're a community member. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Chef's like, I'm not a community member. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Are we calling me producer or co-host, actually? I like. I mean, I like producer because it, it explains all the extra work that you do because you do yeah. a lot of work that I don't touch. So maybe <laughs> I should use that. You could say both, though. I think you can say I'm your co-host and um, you know I'm a community member for whatever, and I'm also the producer of this podcast. Do I, or am something. I considered a community member? Are you a community member if you're a practicing. You can say I'm a practicing polyamorous if you prefer. Yeah. I mean, should I? I mean, I, I feel like you're a community member if you're part of, if you practice and yeah. 
I've definitely sort of people know who I am, so it's not like yeah. I'm not part of the community, but yeah, practicing polyamorist. That's so good. <laughs> we can lean on more peas. <laughs> I think we need we need a pepper <laughs> and more peas. Okay. All right, we're here for practicing polyamorous because we're obsessed with peas. <laughs> it's the only reason why I do poly. <laughs> This is gonna be great. One day I'm gonna make a shirt that's just like a thousand P's on somebody's shirt, like every every P word from the first year that we used on this shirt. Alright, okay, here we go. I'm your host, Michael Haig. I write, speak, and produce art about polyamory and polyamorous ethics, as well as the larger umbrella of ethical non-monogamy. I've been a practicing polyamorist for about nine years now. I'm Lacey. I'm your co-host and producer of Probably Poly. I've been practicing poly. <laughs> I'm so sorry. There's just so many pieces. I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is a just, lot of fun. Should I just take a break and then start again, or do you want to? Yeah, just go ahead and take a break and start again. We'll see how it goes from okay. that when I look at it. Okay. I'm your... <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You're gonna trigger me to clap every time. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. Okay. It'll be fine. Okay. Actually, let me just stop and I'll do my intro again because I think that'll like level me out. I feel like I'm just <laughs> waiting for you to talk. I'm just gonna be waiting to laugh at you. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> serious business, Michael. Serious business. <laughs> All right. The second clip from the same show is a short discussion about what the format of the show should look like. If you remember, for the first few weeks, the format changes dramatically from a pure lecture to a mixed lecture with discussions. And we were talking about what was working well, what wasn't working well, and what we were hoping to accomplish with the show before we reached the format that you now are familiar with. Because mm -hmm. um, I think a little bit of dialogue at the beginning and the end helps balance the formal thing I want to do in the middle. Mm -hmm. But I think the formal thing will really make it a lot cleaner. Mm -hmm. so I really liked how clean the first one was. It was boring. Not boring, but it was, it was monotone. Right. But really, really clean. And I think that was helpful for delivering more information in the time period. Mm -hmm. So we just have to like spice it up a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something in, sort of in between thing. I don't want to be the people who are just disc the equivalent of morning DJ people, but about polyamory. Yeah. Our third clip comes from our third episode and was the first appearance of Mandy Conant. It also happened to be directly after the Nazi rally in Noonan, Georgia. In this clip, she discusses her feelings of the event as well as educates me on the proper way to say her name. And joining me today, where are you joining me from? actually. Just south of Atlanta, it's noon in Georgia. If you've seen anything about the uh, recent Nazi rally that was here last weekend. That's right. I saw that you were, you went out to protest the, pro the Nazi rally. We did. We did. Right. Uh, so I have had, it's, it's crazy. I've had relatives from like all over the U.S. go, dude, we saw you on TV. People have been calling to make sure you're okay, I assume. They were definitely like, on Saturday calling, like, are you okay? Are you okay? And then on Sunday, it was the, dude, we saw you on the news calls. <laughs> it's horrible that it, when I say the word Noonan now, it's associated with a freaking Nazi rally. Yeah, that is weird. I know I'm much more politically minded than I was when I was younger, but I don't remember this number of rallies for anything, good or bad, happening like 10 years ago. No, well, it's because I don't, I don't think that they had the, we have Facebook now and we have, we have so many ways to communicate and, and blast messages. That... We say as we're talking in a podcast right. and I can do from my house with one other person <laughs> helping me. 
<laughs> but that, I mean, that's, I think that's what it boils down to is that we just, it's so much easier to communicate and get messages out to organize these rallies and to organize the protests and things like that. So it's Noonan, Georgia. Noonan, Georgia. All right. So joining me from Noonan, Georgia is Mandy. Um, oh, come on. I'll do this again. Uh, Conant. Wait, say it Conant. again for me. Conant. Long-o. Like Conan, the barbarian. Conan with the T. With a T. Conan. Yeah. Got it. All right. Again. This next clip is for any of you who came to Poly Atlanta Weekend or APW last year, or who plan to in the future. I decided to bring mead for the charity auction, which I bottled under the label Maybe Mead, and I told Mandy that the mead I make is the best mead that I have personally ever had by far. This is her response. One of my husband's good friends actually makes mead. There's a bar. There's a high bar there, Michael. Like... <laughs> his meat is amazing so <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think i'm willing to throw my hat in that ring um, all right i don't know though what I'll, what i'll do is i'll bring a sample of sure. the meat that i have so we can compare we can give it we can give an accurate comparison is it just like 100 percent honey mead or is it does it ha- is it like a tincture oh, see, now additives? you're talking mead to me and i sorry sorry yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, you may learn. I'm a huge nerd. I like learning things and then memorizing a thousand special words to sound smart. I have no idea what type of meat it is. To be completely honest, my husband might be able to tell you, but I don't even know that for sure. Okay. Generally, I make dry meads that have some sort of fruit element added. So, like, I have a boysenberry mead. I have a, a cabernet mead. I think I, all my meads are dry, actually. I don't think I make sweet meads as a general rule. I have, like, one weird, crazy sweet mead that I made for a friend that's, like, a chocolate peanut butter mead. Whoa, that's too sweet. Yeah, no, it's, it's super <laughs> sweet. It's desserty. Yeah. He is, like, 32, and he has the tastes of, like, a of like a child that likes to get drunk. <laughs> Yeah. He was like, oh, can I design a mead? And I was like, yeah, because of course I'm going to say yeah. It's just like chocolate peanut butter. <sighs> mead's dangerous, though. I swear you can't even taste the alcohol in it. Most of my meads are super heavy alcohol, like 14 to 18%. Definitely got wasted on this mead that's that we have. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't yeah, you can even realize it. Super wasted. I have a friend, and he's doing a lot better now, who used to be sort of a high-functioning alcoholic, and... Uh, the only time I've ever seen him, like, wandering around vomiting blackout drunk was I had, like, a leftover jar of mead that I didn't want to bottle for some reason. And I was like, hey, you want this? And he was like, yeah. And he drank the whole thing. And that was not, as it turned out, the right <laughs> choice. He massively <laughs> underestimated the alcohol content based on flavor because he's like, I know how much is in this based on how it tastes. And he was just wrong. I can't taste any alcohol. So this should, this is like a wine cooler. A fascinating side note. I actually think mead is the best basic alcohol and it used to be the most popular primarily during the time that monasteries made wax candles as their major financial output so the honey was basically free built into the cost of making beeswax candles and then when paraffin candles came on the market beeswax became mostly valueless and so people stopped producing beeswax for candles and then making honey became super expensive because you actually had to pay to produce the honey instead of getting it as a byproduct mm-hmm. and so mead went out of fashion and was replaced with uh, mostly beer because beer is made out of just like grasses and stuff which are super cheap and then wine which is also cheaper pound for pound to make than mead huh 
did not know that. I just right. like the way it tastes. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think it actually tastes the best. I just think it's yeah. the most expensive to make, you know, so. Well, and then also, as you, I, I don't know if you know this, but if you ever buy a store-bought mead, they are, like, they're terrible. Like, they're just novelties, and nobody has an actual, like, I know there are meaderies from place to place. Like, there's some meaderies in probably Asheville that are good, but, but as a, a general rule. I've never actually bought it. I've never actually bought mead. It's always been given to me as a gift from someone who's made it. Yeah, I bought mead before I made it, and I was like, man, this is terrible. And I made it just because it seemed interesting to make alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, wow, this is actually really good. See, so now you've ruined it for me. Mead. You've ruined it for me because I didn't even know you could buy mead like that. I, I just thought that mead was like a, a friendly gesture, like it was... <laughs> It's, it's a like very that. friendly gesture if it's a friendly gesture. You, like, make this stuff, you keep it in your cellar for two years. It's like the friendship bread, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you were kids and you made the friendship bread and you, then you took a piece of it off and then and you could make more <laughs> friendship bread from that. That's how I see mead. And to know that it can be store-bought just, it ruins that for me. Thanks, Mike. Well, trust me, it basically can't. <laughs> if you go buy it at the store, you'll be sad. It's not friendship bread. It's terrible. Okay. All right. It's not friendship bread at the store. <laughs> <laughs> It is not friendship bread at the store. <laughs> For those of you who are wondering, I asked Mandy if I won the taste off, and she said, quote, oh, you totally won, end quote. So if their mead is amazing and mine blew that away, you can imagine how good this mead is. So come to APW, vote on the charity auction. We may also be trying to give away bottles at other functions, although due to state laws, we can't mail it or sell it. So if we're actually at a convention, it's usually something we're going to try and bring. Next up, we have a game of rapid fire advice. The way this works is I set aside small, short snippets of advice that just make a proclamation without explanation, and then each piece is separated by this sound. Let's begin. We have separate bedrooms, so I'm actually down in his bedroom right now doing this. Separate bedrooms is definitely the way to go if you're poly. I, I, that is something that needs to be in like every book. It's way understated. You know, when you are only ever had a relationship that's six months, it totally feels like you can live forever in Disneyland monogamy. So that if you want to ask how many relationships are in between three people, there are actually four relationships. I haven't done any of this, but in theory, I've been keeping all the chunks of these things for behind the scenes outtakes extras. A lot of these conversations, I think, are as fascinating as the podcast, but maybe that's just because I like the people that I talk to. You know, so if you're not noticing your moral failings, that means you're not improving your moral situation. Right. You're not being super pro-social, which is what you want to be. You're just not noticing. You've avoided that there's a problem. There's no such thing as who is right and who is wrong. There's only the question of how to improve the situation. As we've said many times, statistics are only useful in groups. They're not useful for individuals. So if you know that you don't pick up emotional valences and you can be this valuable resource and it doesn't hurt you and you find it fun, then do that. I would I would almost say, as a rule, try not to bitch to your other partners about your partners. Just simply because you get that only the negative. You know, I want to remind people that when we say this is not a statistically good idea, we don't mean you necessarily, just probably. That's how statistics work. Love is exception making, and the horror of that is that people you don't love, you don't make exceptions for. There's a lot of research that you lose a lot of quality of life by forgoing lifelong relationships. And I don't necessarily mean sexual here, although I also mean sexual here.
The next clip is from the interview with my mother, the second section, if you're curious. As I think is clear to anyone who's listened to those episodes, this was a very deep and emotional conversation for both of us. And at one point, I became emotional enough that my mother felt that I was getting angry and attacking her. This short clip is us taking a time out to balance that back down so that we could continue our conversation. I'm not saying it meanly, I'm... Sounds very angry. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not angry. I'm just saying. It, but your face, your body language—you sound angry. <laughs> it is important to remember that while your emotions are perfectly valid, the person that you are engaging with may still need an explanation in order to be able to continue hearing you. Since the very nature of empathy is that mirror neurons cause us to experience the emotions we perceive on other people's faces, if the person you're talking to thinks you're angry, they will become angry, which will remove them out of their ability to discuss with you what's going on. And while that's not fair and you don't have to curtail your emotion, if it's someone important to you, like it is for me with my mother, then it can be a valuable tool to help them sort your emotional response so that they can sort their own emotional response and to remember that their response to your response is just as valid as your own original emotion. As frustrating and confusing as that is, but if you can work with them, you can really accomplish a lot, as I hope you've seen in these episodes with my mother. The next clip is from episode 10, which was about heteronormativity in animated films, and is honestly the core element that I originally wanted to discuss. It was the unique angle that I thought we had on the topic. However, when we were actually doing the recording, we got such wonderful information and content, and I thought it was so coherent and powerful that I ended up having to sideboard this segment for time reasons, and I'm very grateful to be able to bring it back in this clip show. All right, but we avoided going into supreme detail in these movies, but we still didn't manage to successfully do what I wanted to do, so we'll, we'll take the last <laughs> short time to do the, the back half of this, which is I wanted people to suggest, or us to suggest, movies and analyze them backwards, so movies that we felt didn't have these things. Okay. Because I have been worried, you know, I have this two-year-old and he's coming up on movie-watching age, and I don't want him to watch most of the horrifically bad movies that set me up for 20 years of embarrassing, right. disturbing, mononormative, insane, stalker, psychotic behavior, <laughs> uh, and made me feel like a failure for not getting those things. But, like, when I didn't succeed in stalking people, that I was like, man, I'm so useless, I gotta stalk harder. So do you, do you want <laughs> movies that specifically with healthy romantic relationships in them or just healthy relationships in general? Because like the first movie that comes to mind is Lilo and Stitch. Right. I was thinking yeah. that and Up. Up. I really enjoy Up. Oh, Up. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. Up has that, that whole like she's the one, my soulmate, my life mate. Ah. I don't know that that's it. It's not necessarily has that magical and exceptionalness. It's just like this is his his friend that he's well, not maybe it does. <laughs> I think Lilo and Stitch for sure. I think if you watched Up and you didn't watch any of these other movies, it would probably be pretty safe. I think we read the probably. rest of that into it because I mean they they just basically have maybe. flashbacks and sadness, and he decides he doesn't want to live, I guess, in the world anymore without this person in it, and that is obviously a pretty monogamous right. issue. I think Finding Nemo is probably a good example as well. Finding Nemo is There good. is a little bit of the love thing. 
Yeah, because Marlon and Dory, they have a love, but it never directly implies that it's romantic. No, I, I believe that it's friendship. I don't think it's a, a romantic I believe one. I think so that's too. right. I mean, it, it would be cross-species, and they are actually following species for once. I mean, normally Disney doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> normally Disney's like, two yes. different species can breed. I, a children will be whatever the dad species is, and the right. girl children will be whatever the mom species is. <laughs> yeah, like Lady and the Tramp. Right. I was just thinking, although that's not species. Moana. Moana's yeah. another good yes. one. Yes. So let's talk about what, not just like, here's a list, but like, so in Lilo and Stitch, we like the developed chosen mm-hmm. family story arc. Yes. Yeah, and valuing valuing people rather than the relationship, I think. I, I think that in many of the movies that we've discussed earlier, like Little Mermaid and such, it's more like placing value on what the relationship ought to be rather than just who the person is. Yeah. Well, and also actually sort of honoring the relationships that you do have in the yeah. order that you have them. The older sister in Lilo and Stitch, whose name I cannot remember. I got nothing. The name of the Nani? Yeah, it's something like that. I think it's Nani. Yes. That doesn't sound right. Is that you just look it up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want yeah, to say I'll it wrong it the whole time. I'm on it. <laughs> but the older sister definitely is more about. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're gonna get her name, and then we'll go from there. Oh. I'm gonna delete between when I didn't know her name and now. Okay, okay, it's Nani. It is Nani. Okay, N-A-N-I. so so Nani has a guy that's a love interest that she's interested in. And it's pretty healthy that she has, like, a friendship for, Mm -hmm. that she has shared experiences and shared location with. And she puts that on the back burner to deal with her very important guardianship relationship with her sister. Numerous times. And it still healthily develops in the background. It doesn't kill it. You know, it showcases that you can can do the things you should be doing and then also develop. And that he's respectful of her relationship with her sister. He supports. And he doesn't respond. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That he doesn't respond by going, that's ridiculous. Pay attention to me. I'm out. He responds to being like, yeah. That's your sister who you have to take care of because you're her guardian because right. the family's parents are dead. Like, And I think at one point in the movie, he like helps with the ruse or whatever's going on. Sure. Yeah, he helps her get a job at the end. And then yeah, he helps he like build the house and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he helps with the ruse. But I think he helped. Yeah, I think he helps get a job and helps her build the house and those other things that I remember. And then takes him surfing. Yeah, takes him surfing. So he's, he participates in the family life once he's part Correct, of the family. Correct. Yeah. It's not just the main. It's you know, it's the the aliens too. Yeah. The they aliens. become family right. of sort, and so it they, is. They it's, add them to the family. It's all about chosen family, and it's not. The, the romantic relationships are not the main focus in the movie. It's the chosen family, the chosen friendships. That the alien family seems to represent like a trans storyline. Yes, I like that. Yes, it, questioning gender and the gender roles and such. I think one of the reasons to, why Up is the only other movie that comes to mind, why I chose to offer that movie as uh, as one that goes against the norm here, is that yes, the love story was a part of the first 10 minutes and we all cried, but the main focus of the movie is the friendship between the boy and the grandpa. Why can't I remember their names? Not the grandpa, he's not grandpa, but that friendship and how important and how, how that kind of a bond bond across age could be important to a person's development and to one's one's life and emotional stability right in the other direction as well that it's important to the older person to continue to be part of growth and life and other people's development yeah outside of again direct familial blood romantic child heterosexual based connections yeah so choose choose the people that Mm -hmm. that you want to be your family Another movie I think I love Pixar Inside Out is one that I think is great as well to it not is, have the romance in there. Inside Out is an amazing. It's it is a phenomenal movie. I love that movie. 
Like it really honestly helped my youngest really understand feelings and memories and what to do with them and, you know, what not to do with them and how to process things. It was, it is really a phenomenal movie. Yeah, I love that movie. I know people who hate it, but I, we won't get into that right now in this podcast, but. You know, we're we're specifically looking at movies that are not sending unhealthy signals right so that yeah oh, sorry, unhealthy romantic signals but at least it's not doing that right Although it would be i think even better if you know we were talking about movies that had healthy i guess it does deal with healthy emotions it talks about how accepting all of your emotions mm-hmm. and not trying to sort of edit yeah absolutely and curate your emotional outcomes and how your emotions right. work together yeah i mean you can't feel happiness unless you know sadness is right. the thing, right so nemo though like you brought up a really good one i think nemo is a great one because Marlon and Dory do have this, they gain this really great friendship friendship throughout. And I just realized as, as we're bringing this up again, it also challenges befriending people that have your same, like uh, someone who with disabilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, he creates this great bond with someone who has a major disability and they, they learn and they grow together. Right. And they both get something out of the relationship. Yeah. So. And we had talked about Frozen as like a sideline one. Frozen's interesting because I think the final product of Frozen isn't so bad. Yes, uh. but I still, I'm going to say that Frozen doesn't necessarily promote a whole lot of healthy emotional behavior. Not in general. Not in general. It, I wouldn't it throw not? it up there with the others. I, I mean, it, it, no, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think right. She definitely like, has to work Elsa. through a lot throughout the movie to get to where she is at the end of the movie. So I would say that it's more unhealthy than healthy as far as time-wise in the movie. Yeah, right. But that's that's what your you know that's what our kids are mostly going to deal with. I, I like to think that I can protect my kids from the messages out there, but I know from my own experience that you know, most of the things that I really wrestled with were things that nobody ever told me explicitly, not in my family anyway. Like there are messages I absorbed from the ether. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that you're not supposed to have ugly emotions per se is something that nobody ever really told me, but that I definitely was aware of that, you know, losing control of your emotions, getting angry, that sort of thing wasn't really acceptable. And the conceal don't feel plot line that they were like, you don't, don't have your actual emotional response, have this fake emotional response, be the people other people need you to be. And that how that doesn't work, mm-hmm. that it showcases that it doesn't work. And they're really two different storylines because, and you know, in a weird way, Disney got lucky with Frozen, right? Because as yep. I think a lot of people know, the story was supposed to be that Elsa goes up and just goes off and is an ice witch. Yeah, and they the stop her and have a romance and she's the bad guy. And Adina Menzel with her Let It Go performance changed it all. Right, right. After they heard Let It Go, they were like, that's way too inspirational. Let's let's do something else with it. She's going to be too important. So the, the listed protagonist in like the credits is actually Anna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she does go through the regular Disney. There's a good prince and a bad prince, and she ends up with the good prince. Right, the there's still end, the... And, uh... Uh, and she's not a very dynamic character the way that Elsa is, she, who has emotional content and wrestles with things. She's just sort of cute and and fun and gullible yep, and, and pretty and yeah yeah and and so they they ended up with a good movie and watching the Elsa parts they got a lot of good messages I think about overcoming these emotional stuntedness that were programmed with but the other half of the movie not not as much yeah but I did I did like that it was that they eventually settled on in the rewriting 
that the sisterly love is what saw is what saved the kingdom. Yeah, I'll give it that for sure. I mean, the idea that there was an "I love you" on the—I can't think of another movie where like an, the phrase "I love you" was expressed necessarily in a kids' film. Uh, I'm not thinking of very many movies at all right now. Um, but I love that there is the phrase "I love you" was used in a non-sexual form, and I loved that. That was good. But but let's think specifically about mm-hmm. the article you're talking about, where they're talking about that friendship, love, non-romantic love is not magical, meaning it doesn't solve the problem with transformative magic. And here, a non-romantic relationship broke the curse. Oh, right? So I they said love, love will thaw and save and is magical and rejuvenative. They didn't make it romantic. She didn't find her one true love to save her. She found her sister. Oh, that gave me chills. Right. Which, like in Lilo and Stitch, the friendship is the one. Their friendship is what transforms him. Yeah. Into, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, I'll give. From a shitty little monster to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love it. A pet you could deal with. Ah, I love Lilo and Stitch. I will give Frozen some credit based on what you just said. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. The next clip is from episode 10, Why Good People Do Bad Things. I don't really have an additional introduction for this clip because the clip itself explains what we're doing and therefore doesn't need me to introduce it. Yeah, I I see a lot of things that I think people think of as being really depressing. Like I always say, no good deed goes unpunished. My version goes beyond that, which is when you want to do something good, like a good deed, Mm -hmm. you should figure out what the price is and be willing to pay that price plus at least a couple other prices you're not sure about before you do it. I like that. And you you shouldn't expect to get anything back for it. Mm -hmm. Because if you did, by the way, it wasn't by any context a good deed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're doing that and then you think people will like you more or like you'll get laid by someone who's prettier because you're cool and nice, Mm -hmm. then you didn't do a good deed for social means doing things that aren't designed to be for your good mm-hmm. not altruistic per se but something like that mm-hmm. and this is the answer to the age old why don't they like nice guys well you expect to get something out of it which means you're not a nice guy right. definitionally speaking right exactly you can't both ask that question in a seriousness and be in fact a good guy or a good yep. person yeah. But if you're going, why am I not getting rewarded for all my good behavior? Then you are a terrible person. Right. Because, <laughs> yeah, for feeling like you deserve that just for, yeah. But so really, the reward for doing something that's pro-social is the good feeling that you've helped other people. Mm-hmm. That's the only reward you should be looking for. Because if you're looking for another reward, you're not going to find it. But the thing is that what that reward does for you eventually is it moves your sense of your own value and happiness from other people into yourself. Mm -hmm. So that at a long enough timeline, nothing that anyone else does to you can affect your emotional state. That when you're like, oh, that person said I was a horrible person, but you know you're not. And you know you're not. Right. Not you believe you're not not you think you're not you will actually know you're not eventually it takes a lot of work and many years to get there but when you get there you are free from this sort of ocean of emotional vagary Mm -hmm. you know that your emotions will become yours to control eventually and i think that if you don't know why things are happening to you life is very frustrating and very confusing agreed and these investigations will help you figure out what is actually happening to you. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work, but every time you figure out one piece of that puzzle, one less thing is frustrating. Right, right, and that's worth it. Yeah, it's a lot of work to do, but it's totally worth it. This next clip is from episode 12. Communication is hard, and it is a look into our team discussing the editing process, and specifically how much we should record each session. So are we trying to only talk for 45 minutes? Do we want to talk for two hours? I need some extra 
to make sure that I have something to take out because I take out all the air gaps and all the ums. And I also always take out a little bit where we say something that might be offensive to someone. Or, right, yeah. Because you know. oftentimes I'm really listening, I find something where I'm like, we're never offensive. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't make it through any, I don't make it through a single one of these podcasts, I don't think without saying something that just is not something that I should say because I'm saying it inside of the cultural context of the three people who are talking. Mm-hmm. I know that you'll take it the way that I meant it. Right. And I know that it will that it will affect you the way that I meant it. Right. You know, but not I'm listening to it and I'm going, yeah. ooh, if you have this different cultural background, this could hurt. Yeah. I don't want that to happen. Right. And also, sometimes I use words where I don't 100% right. know that I'm sure that the word means what I think it means, but I think <laughs> it's close enough that, that you two will know what I meant. And then when I'm listening to it, and I just said it without thinking, I'll go, oh, that's... Who? That's, I'm not sure that's what that means. I'm not sure that that's... Yeah. An acceptable voice there. <laughs> You're like, I'm totally going to get called out for that word because that's yeah. not at all what that word means. Yeah. Well, again, context is important. You know, when you decide to put out ethics content, you take on this mantle of additional responsibility above and beyond what you would have just going somewhere and being there personally and talking. And, and even talking in a professional context, but not in a recorded context. Mm-hmm. So the recorded context is there forever. People can go through it again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And you had every opportunity to fix it. You could go through it two or three times before you published it. If it's brought to your attention, you could fix it and then you know upload the, the fixed version. There's a, there's a different burden of requirement mm-hmm. for the quality of what you're putting out. As a note about all these clips, the last one in particular, our language may include more colloquial ways of saying things that we wouldn't normally use because we would have removed them if it was a regular broadcast or because we're talking in a section that we don't think is going to make it into the final cut. Part of the purpose of this clip show is to show a rawer version of some of our podcasts So please keep that in mind when critiquing these episodes. Next up, I put together a second rapid-fire compilation. This one is just odd phrases removed from context. Like the first rapid-fire advice section, these are separated by short bells. Enjoy. Ooh, I love couples privilege. I call them my husbands. To me, I felt like I was a little, a bit of an early bloomer. I'd done all the other stuff when I was like 16. I don't think you said your mom was here. He's trying to get the, the refrigerator to go off. Obviously, Beauty and the Beast is the worst. Beauty and the Beast is the worst. Oh, go buy a girl that you've gone on a date with a diamond ring. Hopefully, if you listen to this episode, you found two things. And if you are a couple or a multiple person or a hub or spoke, whatever your arrangement is. Except for you, because you can separate it. I agree. Mandy's right. Probably don't do that. No lifeguard on duty. You're not nearly as offensive as I am, then. <laughs> All right, well, I don't think any of that's actually useful content. The final clip is from episode 13, The Definition of Commitment. And it is the deconstruction of how Mandy's relationship that was the focus of so much of that episode transitioned from sexual to non-sexual. And I think it's sort of the perfect example of the kind of material that is actually quite compelling but ends up getting cut for time and clarity. The story did make it in brief into the final episode, but one of the reasons that this section was cut, as you will hear, is that we had some communication issues. And when I had to choose what to cut, something which was confusing where Mandy and I were talking past each other 
rather than discussing new information ends up being fairly high on my list and sometimes other really good content gets taken with it. And there's definitely one of those partners I have had sex with years ago. So that may be part of that element. But it's not sexual now. And I can understand that. I actually, I think I would have the easiest time having quality, physical, non-sexual relationships with ex-partners. Partly because I already know that we had sex and it didn't work out and I don't want to go back there. I don't call him an ex-partner. I just, our relationship evolved into something different. Sure. So, well, I mean, wow, I was, that was, was so I mean, condescending, Michael. <laughs> sure. No, 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 no. no. Well, in, no, well in, in, you call it whatever you want, they, but that's what happened. Well, in, in your case, they're they're still partners, but I have people who are no longer partners. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. That if they came back into my life, I think I could have that kind of relationship okay. with more easily because I sort of I think a lot. Yeah, you know, obviously, a lot of the allure of sex is will it work? Oh, don't get you me know, wrong. The sex work. Could it work? <laughs> Um, but I mean I meant the sexual relationship like would that work as a long term sustainable happy healthy relationship and if you already know it won't I feel like it's a lot easier at least for me and this is just a me thing I don't mean this as a universal I literally just was answering your question like from my perspective it's easier for me to snuggle someone that I know like we had sex and that did not go where I wanted it to go I did not enjoy the long-term outcomes of that but i enjoy the snuggling so i'm happy capping it here whereas i mean the reason we ended up having sex in the first place is we were doing those things we're like i bet that other thing would be even better (laughs) and then it it turned out it was not (laughs) we went too far it's like a there's a con there's a concept in in the business world called promoted to the highest level of incompetence which is the idea that most people are actually terrible at their jobs on average because the way that our system works it doesn't try and match the right person to the right job it puts you in a job at random and if you do well, it promotes you to a more expensive job until you don't do well. So the only reason you don't continue to get promotions is you're in a job where your performance is sort of middling. And if your performance was amazing, you get promoted. And we actually often use that in relationships as well, right? So you have somebody that you're dating, and their dating is really good, so we move them up to, or friendship, and that's really good, so we move them up to dating. Dating's really good, so we move them up to boyfriend. Boyfriend's really good, so you move them up to engage. Engage isn't so fun, so we just sort of get stuck here for right. a while. You don't necessarily break up with them unless it's really bad, but you don't move forward. And that's how I think you get a lot of those bad relationships. And so, you know, when the relationship does break up, you know, going back a step is actually, I think, a great option that you were able to engage in. Where it's like, actually, there was that point that was really worked really well before we moved it to that next level. Let's go go back and, and spend time there. I was say, t- to be clear, the sex worked <laughs> and the relationship worked. We just need something different from each other at this point does that make sense i mean obviously i don't believe in the monogamous idea of work as meaning lasts indefinitely unless that was how the people in the relationship defined how they wanted the relationship to go but i guess i'm not sure what you mean by it worked but it's not what you need because for me working is being what you need like something is working for me if it's what i need um this the sexual element worked well, no, no, I got that. But then you went but on and said the, the relationship work. Right. The, and you said, this is the relationship work, but it wasn't what we needed. And I'm feeling like that's, that it didn't No, no, work. I said the sex worked. We weren't getting the things out of the relationship together that we needed. So we changed the so relationship. It was no longer mutually beneficial. Which we then decided should not include a se- sexual aspect right now. Mm-hmm. So was that something that was openly discussed or was it like, like, did you sit down and say, hey, look, this isn't working the way that it is anymore and we need to have a change. And I think that what we ought to change is we ought to no longer have a sexual aspect in our relationship. Like, how did you communicate that? We were together. He needed things that I could not 
provide for him. Mm-hmm. And I wanted him to to be able to go seek those things. In this instance, that meant that we couldn't sustain the level of relationship that we had. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we we had to change it. And we did, we did sit down and say, I can't provide for you what you want from me. And you can't provide for me what I want from you right now. We maybe need to change this. Okay. We did. Yeah, I guess we did. We sat down. It wasn't the, It wasn't one conversation. It was okay. over the course of conversations and weeks and maybe even months. Um, and it's obviously taken us years to evolve to what we are now. Mm-hmm. But we have an amazing relationship nonetheless. So. So if you didn't catch that, for the record, Mandy says... And the relationship worked. And then I say... And you said, this is the relationship worked, but it wasn't what we needed. To which she replies... No, no, I said the sex worked. And yet, she very clearly did, as you just heard. This proves that I was right, and also sort of petty for editing it all together to point out that I was right. But it was confusing if you were simply listening to the episode, since... It would require you to either jump back to check who was right or to wonder if you had heard the conversation correctly. Now, I will leave you with one final rapid-fire clip set. This set started off being a second out-of-context set, but ended up being a Mandy-only clip because it turns out she was the only one that said anything significantly funny in the last three episodes. And because I really wanted to cut together the number of times she said how good the sex was, in the relationship that ended up transitioning. Just in case you're listening, Guy, that story is about, she really wanted to be clear on that point. And one more thing I want to say, even if it's going to sort of ruin the surprise, because I want to be clear, is that one of the joys of working on this podcast and editing this podcast is Mandy's jubilant and bountiful laughter. And so to share some of that with you, at the end of this, I cut together all of her large laughs from a single episode. No, that's not right. All of her large laughs from a single outtake of a single episode, which is about a third of the runtime. Enjoy. Damn, I smell good. <laughs> oh, before you push back, I just, I don't, I thought that would fix Michael, but it didn't. Oh, don't get me wrong, the sex worked. I was saying, t- to be clear, the, the sex worked. The sex worked. Um, the, the sexual element worked. No, no, I said the sex worked. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>